in my zone. All right, welcome to In the Zone podcast. This is Jason Allen John. I'm with my main man, Aaron Charles. What's up, man? Say what up to the people. Welcome back. Welcome back to the zone, baby. So this is episode two, and we got a special guest again, main man, Mike. What's up, guys? How you doing? We're doing good. We're doing good. Welcome to um, In the Zone, Mike. You know, we're happy to have you on our official second episode. Thank you. Thank yes, you. Yes, yes, yes. So, Mike, we're just going to jump right into it because I, oh, wow. I know you're a no-nonsense Right no- into it. Right into it. I know you're okay. a no-nonsense guy. Okay. You stay in the zone, locked in. I've known you for, what, five-plus years now. Um, you know, you're one of those guys I always look up to and respect um, for the simple fact that Mike's always disciplining me on something, Jason. He always. is? Yeah. He's always, always slapping you up? Always. <laughs> I heard you, you slapped him up in poker last night. I really did. Four, <laughs> four straight games. Four straight games. He was locked in. And oh. the whole time he was screaming, I'm in the zone. I'm in the zone. <sighs> He's getting ready for this morning. Yes, sir. Oh, yes, sir. So, Mike, you know, you're in real estate. Um, I met you through mutual friends and mutual networks. And, you know, I always respected how young and ambitious you were. I remember um, Jason, Mike inviting me to, like, meetups young professionals i was seeing guys with mike in like three-piece suits i'm like damn like i don't even own a suit you know you guys are looking like <laughs> kingsmen over oh, here wow so i was always um impressed um on how focused and dedicated you were with your craft from a long time ago um mike and i work at dreammaker realty as well as realtors we're also investors together we're also neighbors we're also good friends. We've traveled together. Oh, wow. Went to his wedding. Aaron's followed me to every building I've lived in. So he stalked you? He did. Because <laughs> we lived on Queen West. Yeah. And I randomly bumped into him in the elevator. Oh, wow. And then a couple of years later, you know, well, I followed him the second time. And then we ended up at Yorkdale together. Okay. It didn't really go like that, Mike. Um, no? I introduced you to every building you lived in, but I got you. Wow. But anyways, so I know, I know you. I know you. <laughs> And I'm happy that I know you. Jason knows a little bit about you. But tell the people who is Michael Yat and what is it that you do um, and how you stay in the zone and get locked in. So I'll let you introduce yourself formally. Well, thank you, guys. I really appreciate being here. I love what you guys are doing. Uh, Saw the opportunity in terms of, you know, partnering up with Aaron as as well as you, Jason, on the business side. Um, You know, having guys that are young, focused, driven, you know, there's not too many like us, so when when we come around, you know, it's good to get together and like stick around each other. Yes. Um, my story's yeah. not, you know, my story is a typical story of every immigrant, right? I was born in Nigeria, was made in Canada. Um, <laughs> made, in, made in Canada. <laughs> made I like made that in Canada. Uh, I lived in Ottawa when I first moved here, and you know, but prior to that, living in Nigeria, I went to two military schools. Oh wow! wow. So I went to a school called Command, and I went to a school called. Nigerian Defense Academy, when my, where my dad used to be the lecturer there. Okay. So those first six, seven years, I think, instilled um, what you would probably recognize now as the discipline or the okay. focus and so forth. You know, I never lost it when I came here. And when I came here, you know, and when you come from a country with no system and infrastructure yeah. to a place where, you know, stiff stuff works how it's supposed to work, you mm-hmm. know, the simplest thing to do is just hard work. So, you know, coming here, um, just finding the right vehicle, which, you know, took me a while to do. You know, I bounced around different jobs, different things, different ventures uh, until I finally, you know, but always knowing when to pivot. 
to say, okay, you know what, this one is maximized. Let's, let's move on. And that's my story. Today, I'm, you know, investor, entrepreneur, real estate broker, um, and then just just happy and just grateful to, you know, be where we are in 2020 and looking forward for the next 10 years because I think we're just about to get started. Oh, wow. So, um, but I want to add, I, I, I want to add to that introduction there. That was, that was a very good introduction. Round of applause, please. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, thank you. <laughs> but there's a, there's a couple key things there that Mike said that really like hit home for me. Um, I thought I knew you, but then I realized, you know, you can always learn something about somebody else. Like, you know, the reason why we get along so well, but then, you know, we have a lot of tough conversations is because we come from that immigrant background. My dad was also in the army in and the Coast Guard in Trinidad. Oh wow. Yeah, like I didn't knew that. I had to shine my shoes every Sunday morning. I had to always have my clothes ironed at a young mm-hmm. age and wow. you know, the discipline was always there. So, you know, when you when you get into business and you, you start having a little bit of fun, you always know those who have this the strong foundation because they pull it back at a certain time. They know when it's time to lock in, they know when it's time to to get focused again. And um I think we have that similar characteristic as well. There's something else that you said um, in terms of knowing when to pivot, right? Um, I know you. You've been in different ventures and you've been in different spaces. And, you know, real estate has now been your identity mm-hmm. for the last half a decade, I would say. Yeah. But a lot of people wouldn't, a lot of people don't know, don't know this, but I got the privilege to notice you've been behind the scenes working real estate for over a decade. That's right. As a silent investor building your portfolio personally. And now, you know, you learned the ropes and you learned how to do things the right way. And Michael, yeah, it's an individual, Jason. Like, mm-hmm. if he's not sure about something, he's not going to put it in front of somebody else. So now that he's a broker, an investor, and he understands the realms of the, the industry, and he's out here kill, kicking ass, um, it's because I've seen him take those 10 years to actually learn it. Versus a lot of people, they could have just got their license bought their first property and became an expert. I've yeah. seen Michael go in front of 40, 50, 100 people before he actually put himself in the limelight and, and the spotlight. And those are the type of people that I respect that they respect their craft. Yeah. So now, Mike, I've seen you in different industries. Mm-hmm. Why is real estate seems to be right now the home base, the home um, base? and focus for you? Well, I mean, like you said, I've been doing this for about 10 years, uh, maybe just a little bit over 10 years. And, there comes a point where you just have to kind of put aside what you're passionate about and start looking at what you're good at. Okay. That's so I like that one. Say that again. That's, that's deep. <laughs> so no, but this is, this is fact. So Hold you have up. to put aside what you're passionate about right? and start to take a mental note of what you're good at. Right. So I was always passionate about different things. I was very passionate when I was younger about playing soccer. Right. But when you grow up in a system in Canada, it's not really the best system to become a professional soccer player at the highest level. At yeah. that time. At, at the that time, time that we we're coming At the up. time, that's right. Yeah. You know, just now. like, just like if now. you wanted to be a professional basketball player mm. 20 years ago, you know, there wasn't a lot of eyes looking at Canadian, Toronto, you know, GTA-based players. And, and we didn't have the infrastructure. They didn't yeah. have the Nowadays, infrastructure. Nowadays, the kids, uh, they can go to LA Fitness for $30 a month and play. Yeah. They can go to Hoop Dome that's and, right. and various other places. Before, we were going to, you know at risk neighborhoods and then having to clash with different with neighborhoods other, with, just to, just right. to play ball. That's right. So it was almost like there was a fear of going to like Regent, Jane mm-hmm. and Finch to play basketball and then try to get home 
you know, so we That's can right. leave those stories alone. But mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but now these kids are free. They're jumping up and down. There's exposure yeah. to social media. So this is a touch on that point. That's a lot. I want a lot of people to understand that we were kind of a disadvantage. That's right. That and time. and a lot of it is just timing, right? Because, mm-hmm. you know, um, over the next 10 years, the exposure to what's going on in basketball right now is, you know, it, it makes the system here very attractive and appealing. Correct. From... Um, from the schools aspect, from the league aspect, right. from the parents aspect, because it's cost, it's time, right. um, and also from the from the financial aspect, from the player that they're evaluated. Mm. So I, w- when I was fourteen, I started playing soccer, right. which is okay. pretty late. That's yeah, good. that is late. It's good. Was that grade nine? Uh, yeah. So eighth oh, grade, you started it at fourteen. I started at fourteen. S- super late. So, and the only reason I started is because a buddy of mine came up to me one day and he said, you're pretty fast. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you should come, you should come and try it for my, for my club. And that was uh, at Aaron Mills Soccer Club. So I was 14 years old. I was the worst player on the team. Yeah. Um, but over the next five years, you know, I became one of the best players in Ontario. Oh, wow. And How did you do that? And Such a how, short time. And how I did that was as soon as, as I started to escalate and, and uh, and elevate my game. It was important for me to move on to another team where I was uh, the worst player again. Mm-hmm. Oh, so you always upgraded. I always upgraded, so well, I always shifted. And some, mm-hmm. and it wasn't like, hey, I'm sitting there as a 14 year old, and I'm thinking, I'm gonna go to this team where I'm the worst at, because that mm-hmm. that hurt, bruises your self esteem. Yeah, you know, at 14, <laughs> 16. Well, you had a plan why you were doing it. I didn't really have a plan, to be honest. Um, there was a friend of mine that was a much better soccer player than I than, than I was, and he played in France like later on in our like in his in his career. Uh-huh. But what he ended up doing was, um, he believed in me more than I believed in myself. Nice. And because he believed in me, it allowed me to just keep on going a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then by the time you know we were nineteen, we had to make a pivotal decision. So he went to Europe. He played professional soccer. Um, I was supposed to go to Europe, but, you know, African parents, yeah. you know, that would, that would essentially mean the end of my education. <laughs> so, you know, so I made a conservative decision mm-hmm. to get a scholarship instead. So I had a scholarship in Ohio, New York, and I believe Connecticut. So I had three scholarships there, ended up not working out, came back here. Um, but then I had to, again, I had to leave that alone because by the time I was 24, I just looked at the math and the stats of it, of players that would, you know, go into the pros. Because I had friends at 18, 24, bouncing around mm-hmm. Singapore, Israel, Hungary, Germany. But now, you know, they're 34, 38, and they're back here now, and they have to reset. Right. Because yep. the earning potential is not as strong as someone who started maybe when they were eight years old yeah. in a system that, you know, you could gradually climb and, right. and, uh, and do well in. But so I left that alone because I realized there wasn't any future there. And up until that time, everybody knew me as a soccer player. Right. Mm. And then when I shifted into the entrepreneur, that's, you know, that window is hard mm. for people to now start to look at you when you rebrand yourself. Mm. So um, today... I'm the real estate person, but in five to 10 years, I could leave this space alone mm-hmm. and look at what the next thing is um, that makes the most sense for that time. And so right now, and like, like you said, I didn't just jump into real estate. It, the moves that I make look maybe random, but they're very calculated. Yeah. I mean, I was, 
investing with you guys in the beginning in real estate. And, you know, there was two or three other individuals as well that were part of that DreamMaker team that I was super impressed by because you guys had like five ten thousand $10,000 at the time mm-hmm. ready to buy real estate. And I was like, where are these guys getting all this money from? <laughs> you know, you know, at the time. Yeah. And I'll, I just said, you know what? Just like in soccer. So let me get around the guys that are the best in what they do. Yeah. Or the guys that, um, you know, I need to catch up to. And then I'll just naturally by the law of attraction and just by the law of association my level will just elevate as well. Yeah, it's like, you know, and they always say, like, if you're the smartest person in the room, you better leave the room. You better leave the room. So yeah. <laughs> you naturally did that when you were younger. Right. So that I respect that. That's, That's really, right. really smart of you. And it probably aids to you becoming the entrepreneur that you are, right? So just to continue on that arch entrepreneurial mind, when was, like, when did you realize, was it during soccer or was it after soccer that you wanted to be, or you became an entrepreneur, or were you just all like in soccer, or do you like, okay, when I'm done this, I'm gonna wanna do something else? Well, you know what? I mean, I've always been all in, and usually most things that I do. So when I was in soccer, all I did was play soccer, um, or I built my soccer, because, you know, I was playing seven to 10 times a week. Okay. So everything had to be around that, and then everything will come secondary. Mm-hmm. When I decided to become an entrepreneur, you know, the market forced me to become an entrepreneur. So I didn't make a decision. So I graduated school in 08, which, you know, I don't know if all the listeners remember that period about 12 years ago. But, you know, that was recession time. That was recession time. Mm -hmm. So it was recession time. And I mean, I was doing interviews like crazy coming out of school and I wasn't really getting anywhere. Oh, wow. So I said, okay, well, this, this system doesn't make sense. I went to school, got, got the good grades, finished school. Instead of getting a job, I'm now stuck with a receipt. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people have receipts <laughs> hanging on their walls, yeah. right? And they're, and they're bragging about their Show receipts. that you showed up. <laughs> but what, what for me it did was, you know, I had to start investing in my self-education. Right. So I started going to a lot of seminars, mm-hmm. conferences, because I said, well, I need to, this system doesn't look like it's going to work. Right. So I need to learn something else. So I would go to real estate seminars, business seminars, and then eventually, and then this is a random story, but I was, uh, me, and, me and a friend of mine where we, you know, was Caravan a Weekend. Oh, here we go. It was Caravan a Weekend. <laughs> oh, let's go. Okay, tell us someone. <laughs> Don't leave out any part. No, no. <laughs> so, I'm, so it's about midnight and I'm tired because I've been out all day. Yeah. And a friend of mine calls me and he says, um, let's go to a club. And I said, look, it's, it's midnight. I'm tired. I've been out all day. He said, don't worry. I'll pick you up. You know, we have some friends come in and, you know, some female friends. And I said, okay, you know, you have my attention. <laughs> so we went out. <laughs> so we went out. We'll and as I'm entering the club at 1 a.m., uh-huh. a friend of mine that I hadn't seen in about five years, he was leaving the club. Yeah. So he looked at me and he said, you know, what are you, what are you up to? You know, would you like to connect? And he was building a business out here in Toronto. I connected with him. And then he said, you know, I'm looking for someone to kind of help with the team and the expansion here. Um, and I had free time. Okay. So when you have free time, you're, you're open to opportunity. Yes. So I was open. You know, I sat down with him. And then that's, you know, became one of my first um, entrepreneurial ventures. I was pretty successful. Um, to, you know, today the business still grosses over, you know, $3 million a year. And, you know, but that was just from a random event that, um, and this was over, this is over 12 years ago. This is from a random event that just happened to happen. 
and even with you know the economy mm-hmm. mixed with that and then mixed with you know I felt like there was a shift coming towards entrepreneurship yeah because Canada is very conservative yeah up until maybe more recently but Canada's always been generally very conservative when it comes to entrepreneurship sales you know yeah. those kind of things we kind of shy away from it uh-huh. um, especially you know having Nigerian parents you're either an engineer a doctor an accountant you know just like many or other you don't count or you don't count That's <laughs> funny. so so um listen to that story and you know as entrepreneurs and business owners we don't mm. we don't give ourselves enough credit and listen to you talk where you're like you know i had free time so i was more open to opportunities i saw that there's a recession and i knew i had to make a pivot and make a move that is not normal for 90% of the population, no. right? A lot of people, oh, the recession's here, I freeze. Oh, I have free time. I'm going to waste it doing things that are counterproductive, not productive yeah. at all. Correct. So what kind of made you get disciplined and locked in to be responsible enough to make the right decision to pursue a life that wasn't created for you? Mm-hmm. When you came out of school, there's nothing waiting for you. Mm-hmm. You went out. A lot of people went out to have a good time, but you still heard out of all the noise that was happening, an opportunity. Mm-hmm. And that's a skill. Mm-hmm. Because I travel on vacation. I go different places. And I may be sitting down and I hear people's conversation about real estate and my ears perk up. And this, there's a hundred other people sitting beside me, but they didn't hear that conversation. Mm-hmm. Because as an entrepreneur uh, see what and mean. an entrepreneur... There's just something, there's a characteristic that we have or that we try to um, build that we stay ready. Mm-hmm. So do you feel like soccer yeah. made you ready because you got a, a reality check early on, on the fact that you could dedicate your life to mm-hmm. something and then, not, and then not pan out and you had yeah. to make a pivot quickly yeah. to, to get your life back on track? Well, because I went through that same um, adjustment as well. With track know? and field? Track and field, having a child at the age mm. of 19, right. mm-hmm. you know, university, college wasn't really in, a, your books. in my books because, you know, I had a young mouth to feed. So yeah. I had to go get nine to five employment, doing maintenance work at the TTC. Yeah. But my plan was always to be a businessman and entrepreneur, but I got sidetracked because I, I made one mistake and started my life too early as parenthood and I mm. couldn't go the educational route at that mm-hmm. time. But then to come back and be where I am today took a certain amount of sacrifice, yeah. open-mindedness. The little free time I had, I dedicated to my craft. Mm-hmm. So do you feel that there was something in your life that made you get focused right away? Like you manned up, basically, yeah, yeah. to the situation, um, right? Because the way you made it sound was like it just everyone should just... Should just do it. Just be an do entrepreneur. It. <laughs> but, is it, but is there a certain <laughs> level mean, of focus that you had to have to even get there and make those moves there definitely is mm-hmm. for sure um and that's not to say that i mean i was out every weekend right you know i was out partying but i always made sure that i took care of what was important first mm-hmm. so and part of it was you know because i put most of the sacrifices i made i believe chasing my soccer career mm-hmm. and then you know getting you know getting like far but then not finishing the job, right. mm-hmm. that was probably my first motivation. Right. Mm-hmm. It's because I started something and I never finished it. Mm-hmm. 
And when you start something and you don't finish it, it, it there's a psychological effect that it has on you. It's an empty feeling. It's an empty feeling. Yeah, I've, I've been through it too. It's a feeling of regret. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it could, you know, it could lead to, to depression. Too. Self-doubt. So, yeah. Yeah. so actually, so my first, so I was actually packing to head to Rochester. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I said all my goodbyes to all my friends. Um, I had like a soccer scholarship international scholarship and an academic scholarship okay because my fees were so expensive yeah those <laughs> fees out there are crazy it was so stupid it was it was so ridiculous it's 30 percent more no more than that it was, like, that it was like 300 300 percent. oh wow yeah, yeah. it's like 3x I mean, international oh, wow. student i mean it was oh was, yeah because you're the international yeah student. yeah because he's going to rochester yeah, right? Yeah. so my school fees at the time were twenty two thousand us a year <laughs> a year but in my scholarships were over 95 percent. let's say okay um, but then I don't know what happened with the administration when they faxed my documents for me to sign. Yeah. Half the money was missing. And Whoa. I still remember. There was only 11000 on the on the table. So then I called the coach and I said, hey, coach, there's, there's a lot of money missing. And at the time, you know, we're talking about, and, and at the time, my, my, uh, my parents had made some sacrifices to, uh, my parents had made some sacrifices to take a new position at a new company, mm-hmm. and they were building something brand new. So I knew they didn't have the financial capacity to help you, yeah, to stretch, you know, to what yeah. to what they would have been able to. So then, you know, it left me disappointed. I ended up not going because of because of that facts that that came in. He, the coach said, "Hop on the bus. We'll fix it when you get here." Yeah, and it just wasn't enough for me to you know leave everything behind. It was like an empty feeling. And this is August, so preseason starts in a week. Oh wow! But then I also had acceptance in in Toronto, in Ryerson, and York, and UFT, and I didn't accept anything. So I'm like, I'm going to the states. Yeah. So, but I said I didn't want to take a year off school. So then I quickly called UFT, and I jumped into whatever Program. programs they had available, yeah. just because I didn't want to take a year off. But then I ended up not playing soccer for a year because I I just didn't want to do it anymore mm-hmm. it was a point i really didn't want to do it and then i ended up jumping back in it i played varsity with um with uft varsity blues we went to nationals every year we had a really good program there then after that i just said you know what it was fun and then and then i uh, ended up putting it aside but uh the point of that story is that's emptiness of not fulfilling it mm-hmm. that's what got me to say you know what whatever the next thing that i decided to do um you know because i looked at my parents and you know, they had been working 20, 30 years at the time, let's say. Mm-hmm. And I felt like they weren't really advancing. So I said, whatever I need to do can't be what they're doing because insanity is doing the same, same thing, thing and getting... Same results. Same <laughs> results, but yeah. expecting different results. Or expecting different results, yeah. Right, but you're getting the same results and yeah. you're doing the same thing. Yeah. So I said, well, I'm not going to do the same thing. I got to do something different. And so I looked for different things because I didn't believe that getting a job would help me, even if it was a high paying job, Yeah, was going to help me be successful long term with the kind of life that I wanted to build mm. for myself and for, and for my family. So I always kept that, those two motivators. Yeah. You know, the, the first one of failure mm-hmm. um, and not f- finishing what I started. And then the second one was I needed to change the philosophy of how I approached working, earning income and, you know, someday hoping to be being you know to be financially independent right so those so those are the things that i kind of put together and i made a decision early to say if it takes me 15 years 
go in this direction, you know, I'm going to go that direction. So just let's listen to what you just said there. And you say a little, good, lot of good points. So, you know, this is going to be a good conversation, lengthy one. But um, I always like to clarify things for the listener and the viewer. Okay. Right? Because it's very important. I don't want people to feel like, they, like we're out of touch. Right? Yeah. So you knew you, didn't, you couldn't get that lifestyle out of a job. Could not. But did you ever work a job? Of course. Good. Worked a lot of jobs. Worked a lot of jobs. But my philosophy now is when I speak to a lot of people, I say, create the big picture. Mm-hmm. So it's not like you had the big picture, That's knowing right. that entrepreneurship and business was Absolutely. the end goal. Mm-hmm. So did you paint that picture in your mind? Yes, I did. So um, I even had a vision board. So you create a vision board. Perfect. So what I like to say to people is guys like us, mm-hmm. we paint pictures, we create vision boards, and then I throw it up in the air and I let it smash and shatter. And then I pick it up small pieces at a time. So then you went through working the jobs, but mm-hmm. well, you knew you were working the jobs with a purpose of maybe saving, investing, for sure. and using that capital to build a business and to go. Mm-hmm. You don't just, oh, I have a plan. I'm going to start a business. It's, oh, I have a plan, big picture. Let me blow it up. Let me piece it back together and go through the process. Yeah. So was that kind of like how it was for you? Because that was how it was for me in terms of how I ended up being a real estate yeah. builder, developer, investor. I started off at TTC. Yeah. Mad and hitting my job, but understanding that the income of that job, my credit mm-hmm. was, was going to allow me to get mortgages, just get yes. into real estate and then reach out to mentorship mm-hmm. seminars, which you did, but continue to go to work because yeah. I worked and did real estate eight years side by side. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like I just stopped working. That's right. That's well, that's right. what everybody thinks it is. Right. Right. That's so right. I just want and to that's make the best way to do it. Yes. That's- so Mike, you know, um, you know, you've been in real estate for a while now. You know, congratulations. A lot of people, you know, they start and then they don't finish. We're, and it looks like you're in a lifetime pursuit of this business. For sure. Um, because, you. you know, this is, a, this is a business that has no ending. This is what I love about real estate is the simple fact that you can pass this down to your children. Mm-hmm. And then your children can pass it down to their children. Mm-hmm. And they can live on forever. For sure. Right? That's a generational aspect of it. Yeah. And, and you know, where we come from, we always preach generational wealth. Mm-hmm. So it's always important to put the right words and, and, and energy into your mission from the beginning so you know what the mission really is yeah. and what you're staying true to. But with anything, Mike, you know, I've mm-hmm. been in the business <laughs> 10 plus years. <laughs> I, knew, I knew it was a setup. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! Um, <laughs> you know, with anything, there's trials and tribulations, there's yeah. heartache, there's disappointment. Um, you know, share a couple, like, instances instances where you feel, you know, um, was challenging for you. You had some disappointments or some setbacks. Mm. And let me know, like, because I know what my routine is and certain yeah. things that, I, like, I have a rule. If, you know, I'm having a bad day or something doesn't work out, I only have 24 hours to think about it okay. and to feel sorry for myself and I mm. move on. That's mm. a Beyonce rule. Is it? Yeah. Beyonce and her, and her, um, Netflix special is like, I get mad for 24 hours and then I forget about it. Oh, that's yeah? how I feel though. Oh, wow. So good. I, I can good. stay mad for a long time. Shout out to, <laughs> shout out, shout out, shout out to B. Shout um, out to B. Lemonade. Yes. <laughs> but, um, you know, as an entrepreneur and, you know, our viewers and listeners have to understand that, you know, that squiggly line that we talked about yeah. last week, that up and down yeah. chart, mm-hmm. that, oh my gosh, I'm going to die. Oh my gosh, I'm going bankrupt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> have you have you had any um, situations where you felt that way or any obstacles that you had to spend a lot of time trying to figure it out? And how did you overcome it? Or are you still dealing with it? I mean, I, I think it's natural 
uh, to go through it f- as frequently as maybe we do. I don't yeah. know how often you go through it. Oh, I go through it every day. Daily. Go it every day. <laughs> Daily. I mean, there's, you know, there's some days, you know, I, I wake up and um, I'm in bed and my wife's like, you're hot. And, but she doesn't know I'm, I'm sweating because I don't know what's, because <laughs> I know what's coming tomorrow. Yeah. You know, I, I got either deposits coming out that maybe I didn't really plan or allocate for, you know, closings are too heavy. Um, you know, I need to pivot or move something. Something's not done on time. Uh, but the, you know, the good thing about growth and the thing about, you know, if you want to really persist with this mm-hmm. is as you continue as an entrepreneur at every level, you're going to change what your, um, like your, 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 your bandwidth is going to get stronger. Yeah. Yes. So you, you're going to change what your rock bottom is. Right. Yes. So in the beginning, you know, the smallest things will make me freak know, out. Freak out. Yeah. Whereas today, you know, my uh, tolerance, my uh, BS level is a, uh, is a lot harder. Mm-hmm. I mean, we had like something like, ridiculous amount close to like a dozen closings this month alone so yeah, far yeah. and in those closings i think maybe s- only half of them went smoothly yeah and the other half like dramatic things were happening for each one right so i'm on the phone with lawyers appraisers lenders the buyers the sellers the the developer trying to also navigate and make sure everything is going to work out to position it for a win-win for for everybody involved um, and you know these kind of moments help elevate you for what the next what the next level is. Yeah. So I'm glad that the podcast actually got pushed back a, a few days because I was still going through it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. When, when we first originally was, we're gonna do it. We're, okay, we're yeah. gonna do it. So how do you feel now? Oh, well, I mean, now I feel great, and you you always feel great when you come out of it because mm-hmm. now you can look back and have the right perspective about right. it. You know what I always say is like, so in my situation, like how you go through it, mm. you have to remain calm and confident. That's because right. your customers are freaking out. That's Sometimes right. me, the realtor's freaking out. That's right. The lawyer's freaking out. And everyone's calling me, and I have to be like, it's okay, guys. Don't That's worry. Right. And then I hang up the phone and be like, oh, my God, what the hell am I going to do? <laughs> you know but at the end of the day, I know that if I don't lose my confidence, yeah. and I know it's going to happen at yeah. the end, everything's going to go well, it usually ends up going yeah. well. So we have to be very, like... Like, I don't, I'm not going to call it fake, but no, it's no. like you, I know it's going to go well at the end, but sometimes it's messy in the middle. It's, it's sweet. At, it's it's hard at the beginning, that's right, but that's it's right. sweet at the end. <laughs> and, and you know what? Um, I, I think for me, it's the best analogy is to just be a duck at, at all times. A duck? A duck. Oh, I know what you mean. What calm you mean? at the top. So if you see a duck, you know, calm on the, the surface, yeah. he looks calm. Yes. But underneath water, he's pedaling like crazy. Oh. And that's what, as an entrepreneur, you have to go through. My favorite movie growing up was The Mighty Ducks. The Mighty Ducks? Flying V. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I went off a little topic. Memories. No, no, that's fine. I mean, Mighty Ducks was was great. Uh, What do you call it? No, no, Trash Brothers? I don't even remember. But anyways, as an immigrant coming to Canada, that movie inspired me to skate. Did it? Yeah. I got rollerblades right after that movie. (laughs) and I was knuckle puck time and I was on it. But Rollerblades or ice skates? No, well, that led to ice skating because yeah. I realized we're in a winter country. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. That's good. But yeah, but, we'll leave that for the next episode. Yeah. But yeah, that, but I think you know, um, staying calm, mm-hmm. staying calm, as, as you know, as you mentioned, is very important. Especially, you can't show that sign of weakness, and it's not faking it. It's just it's a level of professionalism. Yes, you know? correct. Um, I I know people that just have no no tolerance for anything. No, 
the smallest thing sets them off and they lose, mm-hmm. you know, their, their composure through everything. But I, th- you know, I think, you know, for if you're an entrepreneur, you know, I think, you know, learn the philosophies of a duck because <laughs> you're going to need it. Yeah. And just to add to that, it's like, you know, I say a lot of people, you know, you can't gauge your life off of somebody else's. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I've graduated multifamily. I've graduated pre-construction. Mm-hmm. I've graduated flips. Mm-hmm. But now I'm going to the world of development. That's right. And, you know, development for me has been one of not the hardest, but it's a new challenge for me. And, you know, there's days I'm super rattled. I question myself. I'm, I'm like, man, my life was comfortable. Why did I pursue this big mission here? And but when people see me, they just they ask me, hey, Aaron, how do you sleep? You look so mm-hmm. calm. But at the bottom, it's like, <laughs> and, and, the, and the people around me every day will see yeah. the feet moving. That's right. But it's not for the world to see. They, no, it looks sure calm not. because I have to have, I'll have confidence in myself. Right. I have to Correct. believe that I've, accom- I've conquered everything else. Mm-hmm. I will, too, get through this. Get through That's this. Right. And I always bring it back to I'm now in my zone. Yeah. yeah. You know? It's fourth quarter. Yeah. You know, last shot's about to go up. The ball's in my hand. And everyone around me trusts that I'm going to deliver. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So your clients knew Michael Yat. Is going to deliver. Is going to deliver. Mm-hmm. And you deliver knew. Deliver I did. And you knew <laughs> when you're going through that staying in the zone process yes. and being locked in, it doesn't mean that victory is guaranteed. Mm-hmm. It means that when you're in the zone, like, you're going through turbulence, yeah. but you're just focusing on the end goal. Mm-hmm. So how did you stay in the zone and lock in on that problem to make sure you start like to the full fulfillment? Because I was there yesterday mm-hmm. when the person that in, put the trust in you to deliver mm-hmm. shook your hand and said, good job. Mm-hmm. Thank you for delivering. Yes. And you said, I had no choice. Mm. Oh, I didn't even know I said that. <laughs> yeah, you natural. We're at the baby. We're at the baby. That's right. That's party. right. That's right. And a gentleman that put the twelve deals in his hand, yeah, and, and was but yes, that that, right. that package, that some package of it, deal, yes. right? Some of it said to Mike, "Thank you very much." Everything went through and went through smoothly, and Mike kind of like, but you don't know what well, he's going through. I, I saw the feet, he saw the cough, <laughs> and he right, saw the right. end result. Oh, that's <laughs> but I know there's a level of Mike got in the zone. Yeah, I right. haven't heard from Mike in five days. You saw it, and bro. I said, "What's going on, Mike?" He goes, "I had to lock in." So uh, walk us through that process. What that means when you have to lock in at well, that specific time to get that win. Well, I mean, yeah. I'm I'm supposed to be in Florida right now, so that's so that's part of it. That shows you right? sacrifice. So I, I missed Atlanta. That's the first one. I missed Atlanta. That's right. You missed Atlanta two years ago because I had to close two deals. Oh wow! And that was a wicked party. We went to Rick Ross's pool party. Whoa! Yeah. And I missed out on it. I saw him was, riding on unicorns. He was white horses. Be, he was supposed to be there, but that's a <laughs> story for another episode. Another Damn. episode. Another episode. But in Rick terms Ross. of, <laughs> I mean, the the first thing that I actually did was I turned off all my notifications. Oh wow! So all my group chats done. I shut them up. Muted. So or I would go into it when I needed to go into it. Yes. I wouldn't let the phone going off. You know, Distract make me you. exactly. That's the first thing that I did. Uh, the second thing that I did was, uh, the second thing that I did was I found a whole bunch of there's little routines that I that I go through audios, um, sort of you know speakers mm-hmm. that that I like or mm-hmm. just even new information. You know, like I watched the Ray Dalio and and uh, 
Diddy interview. Yeah. Um, I watched uh, Byron Allen's interview. Okay. Um, you know, the owner of the of, of, of the Weather Channel. These guys yes. have accomplished and gone through so much. So it allowed me to keep the right perspective of what I was going through mm-hmm. because there's a level that I'm not yet at of individuals that have done and gone through what I've gone through to be able to get there. So having the right perspective along the way, that definitely helped me as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, limited distractions and just made sure that, you know, I, nothing was going to take me off course until, yeah. I, until the job was done. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a, and I think focus is really probably, the, I would say one of the top three skills mm-hmm. in any kind of endeavor or as, especially as an entrepreneur that you need. Because some of the dangerous things as an entrepreneur is when something's not working and someone comes to, you know, hey, I have something else that's a good opportunity and it might yeah. be. And that could, now you've put maybe 8,000 hours into something, but then you see someone getting results somewhere else doing something else. And you think, hey, you know what? These 8,000 hours haven't, you know, uh, materialized, materialized into anything. Yeah. This guy here just started this. Mm-hmm. He's only done maybe a quarter of the hours that I've done and he's making, you know, 5x the income and the results. Mm-hmm. And then you start to, you know, over move there. and over there, but then you Pivot. just burned, you know, um, 8,000 hours of stuff that in terms of what you've done, yeah. you know, and I say that because someone came up to me recently and, you know, they're, they're fairly new in, in this real estate. Um, they're fairly new in this real estate space and they wanted to jump into another business. And I said, you know what? I think you should probably just focus on your real estate business for a yeah. little bit longer. And he said, well, you know, but, are you saying that you don't believe in diversification of income? Yeah. I said, well, that, that's not what I said. Mm-hmm. Um, LeBron James and, you know, all the greats, you know, super successful people. Yeah. They have multiple streams of income. Yes. Ten, ten plus. But. They're they, proficient. But they mastered one first. Yes. And they allowed and they stabilized it. Correct. So stabilize your one before you go into your next ten. Yeah. And, and that just. and Exactly. Like. You know, Mike, like you that put, was crazy. You put you put you put things and like I said, you're one of those guys I really respect when it comes to from I'm a very emotional guy. <laughs> really? <laughs> I didn't ever know that ever. <laughs> I'm a very I'm a very emotional guy because I feel everything. Uh-huh. Because I'm I put I'm always hundred and fifty percent. Yeah. I don't that's just who I am. And you know, I've been presented so many different opportunities. But I'm always true to myself and ask myself hard questions. Like, have I mastered my foundation? Mm. Like, if all fails, that's right. What can I fall on back on? What can yeah. I fall back on that I know I can guarantee to to do make a living out of it? Instead of I'm just touching a bunch of things, and right, when right. It, when it when things start to fall, I don't know where I'm going to go back to to get the base and gather myself. Yeah, again, right. So I've tried different things where it failed and it didn't succeed the way I wanted to but real estate was always that thing that I spent the most hours in mm-hmm. that I know I can come back and continue to build back yes from, right and that's a beautiful thing that you said like LeBron James basketball was what he mastered all and he did basketball gave him the outlet and opportunity some more things but LeBron is still playing basketball yeah because he knows at the end of the day if no other sponsors want him I again, could do this I'm still that's gonna right. play basketball well it's right? great like you guys are like that's crazy, like, because 
you have to build your foundation. foundation. Like I always say this, like if you notice all buildings and obviously we're in real estate, <laughs> bring it back to real estate. Always. Yeah. Brick and mortar. Like, buildings have to go down to go up. Always. And the only way to go very high, you have to have a strong foundation. That's right. And you can't go to the next level no. without the foundation. The one beneath is strong, right? Mm-hmm. So like you say, you can't build or add until your foundation mm-hmm. is very, very strong. Well, you, and it becomes dangerous yeah, for your yeah. for your customer base. Yes. Because then it's like, What's your brand next week? Yeah. Correct. Yeah. You're always right. switching. You're always switching. Jack so, of all trades, so master of none. Let's stay on real estate, right? Yeah. And um, so what areas right now mm-hmm. do you think are getting the most attention and why? From, like from real who? estate's perspective, like whether it's from pre-construction or just everything in general. What are you seeing? What are customers calling? Or what are you, what you giving you the most? What are you giving the most attention to? I mean, to? so I'm, I'm very biased. Okay. Um. I only with good intentions with with great intentions. Great. Um, so what what that means is like condos is my focus. Yes. And I love condos simply because it's half the cost, the same amount of rent. Yes. Oh, that makes sense. Right. Yeah. So once you start to do the math, it's like, mm. why am I buying a house? Yeah. It's double the cost, but the same rent, the same carrying cost. So I've always played in the area where, as Aaron was saying. If everything goes wrong, mm. you know, we're buying some of these, you know, we're buying condos for a fraction of the cost um, below what people's, like, w- below what the national average is for a customer yes. home. Yeah. National average is probably over 800000 Okay. I, t- I typically don't touch products under over 700000 It has to be, like, really, 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 really sweet yeah. for me to do so. And that's simply because of the affordability, the income, um, everything just needs to make sense with the math. So when I do the math, I just say, this doesn't make sense. If interest rates hit 6%, which is what the interest rate was when my parents bought their first home, you know, could I sustain and afford this or, but the danger for most people is they always play where their, where their capacity is. Yes. So they live at their maximums. Yep. Yep. Not their minimums. Yep. So if their maximums are, you know, um, you know, one point four million, yeah, they're probably gonna buy one point six, yeah, because they're gonna borrow two hundred from mom and dad to be able to get that one point six. Yeah, my maximum is one million. I'm trying to only touch five hundred thousand. Okay. So I always live in that space, and I've kind of programmed my clientele base. Um, you know, and, and through the master classes, you know, we, we educate them through that to be able to look at things with multiple purposes and multiple functions. Mm-hmm. So, so let me just, bring, let me interrupt you for a second. Let me bring back to the immigration point, right? Okay. So we in Canada are used to big homes, large mm-hmm. spaces, That's right. not having a lot of people um, around us, mm-hmm. you know, like when I, when I was growing up, like obviously we didn't have as much construction as we have now, but yeah. like, you know, like everyone landed a yard and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And like, mm-hmm. I'm a person, like I don't see myself not living in a condo. Okay. So now we're getting accustomed to smaller places. That's and right. from what I hear, like Hong Kong, Singapore, like there's right. micro condos. So micro, micro condos. So I understand <laughs> that you are, you're playing in the, the under $700,000 space. Is that because maybe your immigrant knowledge that you think people are going to get used mm-hmm. to smaller spaces and that it's more advantageous to be in that as opposed to like a bigger house? Um, de- well, definitely. I mean, the uh, mindset and the philosophy has changed over the last even three years. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not to say I don't um, promote or push 
or even buy products that are under that are over seven hundred thousand. The it's just the fundamentals are just harder to mm. hit and to check, which is you need to have an investment goal. You need to be able to exit from it. You got to be able to make money when you buy it, which is something that Aaron and I talk a lot about. Yes. Um, and you got to be able to potentially change up the, you know, you know, could you do short term rentals? Could you do executive rentals? Could you do, um, uh, you know, uh, furnished rentals? Yes. So you got to have some flexibility. Okay. You know, with your with your rental options to be able to maximize, you know, the full income potential of the property. It's just harder to do that with a with a home unless you're just multifamily. You're, unless you're buying a home because you want a home. Yeah. But I'm talking predominantly in terms of investment. So in terms of what's going on in the news and the media, you know, in my in my media, it's always the same news, which is we're looking for the same products that are in different locations in in uh, different locations that have strong fundamentals that you could make great equity with. You can exit f- from easily. Has a potential of cash flow, rents easy, mm-hmm. good infrastructure, transit, and no matter what's going on, even when I first started, in you know what, during the recession from mm-hmm. two thousand and eight, we didn't get burned and lose you know our money because we yeah. bought regardless of what the economy was doing, regardless of what the media was saying, mm-hmm. regardless of what the news was saying, because the news at the time was an oversupply of condos. Yes. Yeah. So we know how to bury the noise because we live in this space and we do it. Uh, we usually put our money up and that's what um, gets our clients, yeah. you know, interested because... You, you guys know, are buying too. Because we're buying too. You guys are putting your money where your mouth is. Well, 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 at the end of the day, we're investors, right? Yeah. And it's one thing that Mike said that's very important that a lot of viewers and listeners should zone in on is simply is like... Our fundamentals are always the same, but our locations change. Okay. Um, and that's very important. And, you know, a lot of real estate agent investors, you know, and I wanted to listen and understand that we're here to educate them as well. Yeah. We're not here to bash them, but it's, this is another outlet to see how to be successful in this market. Yeah. Like, I can comfortably say any project we invested in, we've made over 300% on our capital. Mm-hmm. Right. And Mike's going to be talking about in the <clears throat> masterclass alongside you is, uh, you know, versus, you know, value and deals and, yeah. and structure. All those things are very important. Sometimes you may pay a little bit more of the deposit, but the value you're going to get out of it is a lot higher yeah, or sure. versus, you know, you may not be in the greatest area. But the reason we're there is because the structure and uh, the, the terms, terms were really yeah. good. Um, so for us is fundamentals. Yeah. Affordability, transportation, um, you know, um, what's the other thing that I'm looking for? Like the demand, yeah. you know, like multiple so exit strategies. Well, yeah, whether exactly. It's so rental. those things are very important. So we started in Liberty Village, right? And when really Liberty Village hit its cap, we had to now go back to our due diligence checklist mm-hmm. and then say, oh, Junction hits our criteria now. So we moved to Junction. North York. And then North York. And then South Etobicoke. That's right. And then Wilson Heights. And then when all those checklists, if, if, if there's not a check on all those boxes, we could now have to move to those zones. So this is perfect. Because so it, 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 it's just, for us, it's just we understand that we're not, you can invest, you invest where you want to make the most money and you live where you want to be. Yeah, I'm but, always like. But I'm, people tie the two together. Yeah, the problem is, is because, you know, home ownership is looked at as like this, like, like, um, this mantle. 
like you got to reach that yeah. you know and like all of us are like in the mind frames of like I, like i don't know like home ownership like, to me yeah. is 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 bullshit okay and i'm just going to tell you guys yeah, cuz that's just who i am straight from the facts it's bullshit yeah home ownership is for the profitability of banks correct they want the masses to own a home if you talk to 90% of the people and you say to them why are you stressed i don't own a home or because they own a home Correct. and they can't afford the home. Right. That's the next 10%. That's right. Then I said to them, listen, your stress should be you don't have an investment property. Mm-hmm. Rent where you mm-hmm. live. Stay renting, but yeah. strive to own an investment. Uh-huh. Right? Because owning a home is a liability to you. Owning a home is not an asset. But the banks position it as it's an asset. Realtors say, oh, buy a home is the greatest investment you ever make. No, it is. It's the biggest liability you will ever have. But the thing about it is, is like people get that confused, right? Because we're not sitting here saying don't buy real estate. That's right. We're saying buy the right real estate. Buy, no, but not only that, we're saying that maybe where you want to live is not a place that you should buy. Right. And the reason exactly. why I say that is this. Exactly. You talk about this through pre-construction, exactly. right? Like I'm a renter too. Yes. If I were to buy my place today... Mm-hmm. I'd be paying maybe $1,500 more a month to own it. Correct. So, like, and the economics don't really make sense no. for me to own that place. And why? But my landlord can afford what I'm paying because when he bought it, he bought it as a pre-construction. That's right. So, people, like, saying, Not like, even oh, that. No, no, no. But I just no, but hold on. Not even point. that. Go hold ahead. on. Not even that. He could be taking a loss. Yeah. Just to be an owner. No, but it's no, not No, no, but that. he can be taking a loss. I see it all could the time. Be. He could be. At Bisha right now. Yeah. He could be collecting two grand a month, but yeah. his cost is three thousand. So yeah. he's negative a thousand. Yeah. Well, you're paying two thousand, and yeah. that extra grand you would be spending. Yeah. You you're putting into your investment. But I'm not even saying that. I'm saying that even let's bring it back because mm. he when he bought it, he at right now based on his mortgage sense. level, he can rent rental. it to me at That's two thousand right. dollars. That's right. But what I'm saying is, if I bought it today, That's right. I would have to rent it at three grand. Right. So what I mean is that like sometimes we could be in a position. And I could take my money, and now I can go buy something in maybe Wilson Heights mm-hmm. that now I can rent it out, mm-hmm. and I can get that spread. But if someone, when I'm finally renting That's out right. my place, maybe they need to rent because they can't get that spread. Mm-hmm. So all I'm just trying to say is that sometimes we got to look at our hat as like, okay, what is home ownership? Why do I value it? Why is it good for me? That's right. But what we're saying is that you, everyone should be some way, somehow into real estate, but... In what fashion, mm-hmm. right? And the thing is about this, and I always try to figure this out, and there's no way I can figure it out because every individual is different. Yeah. There's a price of home ownership to certain people that they value that. That's right. And even though I can it's sit there and say, that is not a great That's investment, right. but That's they're right. like, I want to own a home. So it may not be logical, but there's a value right. to then it. We can't, then we, you can't we, put a we, price on that. We just have to assist them highlight, how to, they want. highlight them to the, it's not an investment. Yeah. And so and some people are okay with that. It doesn't yeah. need to be. And not everyone's an investor. Some people just want a home. Yeah. But but at the end of the day, like, so Mike, like, getting back on track right now, it's like, you know, what advice would you have for, you know, a young listener, you know, a viewer, someone who, you know, wants to get ahead and, and, and position themselves? Like, what is it and what characteristic do they need yeah. to stay in the zone? And and, and, and and what does the zone even mean to you when you get in the zone? Like, what do you see? How do you feel? How do you, how do you perform? Yeah. Um, and how can someone who's listening and watching tap into these, these advice that you're giving them? Well, I mean, I think the first thing for young listeners is 
or even just any listener who needs to either pivot, reevaluate what they're doing is, you know, they have to look at how much education they're spent on themselves. That's the, I think the f- right. number one thing. Right. Um, cause you need a level of education to go into whatever level of growth you want to go into next. So I think the first thing I would do as a young listener and today's easy cause you can just spend, <laughs> you can just spend three hours a day on YouTube right? yeah. and just, you know, highlight your top five YouTube education, <laughs> yeah, YouTube education, university yeah. of YouTube, right? Yes, sir. <laughs> highlight your top five entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. the top five, um, you know, whatever it is, professional athletes or whatever direction you want to go in and just spend time and just study. Mm-hmm. And if you want to, you know, invest further and get around like-minded individuals, mm-hmm. whether through meetups, socials, um, you know, when I was about 12 years ago, mm-hmm. I got around a bunch of guys that were in their early 30s mm-hmm. and I was the youngest one there and they were starting up a charity organization. I knew nothing about a charity organization, uh, but I liked the idea of it. And I liked also, um, I, you know, I liked where they were at the time of their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked how focused they were. I liked how driven they were. Mm-hmm. And so I just got around them and just helped out however, however I could. And just by osmosis, I picked up some things in terms of habits and skills that they did yeah. to allow them to be able to do and have whatever you know the kind of success that they were having, you know, in their spaces and in and in um, their lives. Um, so those are some of the things that I did in terms of real estate specifically. You know, I got around people that had results. Yeah. Okay. That's important. It's 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 as simple as that. Not yeah. not people that were great promoters, mm-hmm. uh, but people that really had the results. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so even now, like my my focus, my energy is really was because and also today there's i feel like a lot of people are there's almost like an overconfidence yes you have a lot of people who kind of they know everything because yep. they know it all they've read a lot of books yeah, yeah and that's dangerous man yeah. oh, it's, it's super dangerous yeah. i mean i know i have people today that we talk about real estate and they finish my sentence yeah but they don't have the results yeah and i'm not saying that and haven't even started yeah well, in their minds, they might have started right? <laughs> started reading. Right? Um, but but I have you know I don't look at people that just have, you know, one good season. You yes. know, I look at people who have good careers. So you look at Hall of Famers. You have to look <laughs> at Hall, Hall of Famers because you could fluke it one year. Yeah, the timing could have been great. And that's what yeah. happened to a lot of people in the Toronto market. That's what yes. happened to a lot of people in many industries nope. across For the last ten years. Yeah. No one has been using fundamentals because the the industry was you know you got lucky with the industry. Yeah. You got Perfect lucky. storm. You got lucky with the timing. Timing. Maybe the government had the best incentives. Um, Interest rates have been low. You know, and maybe the uh, motivation was just, the, you know, there was an energy around whatever that push was. Yes. Right? So then it was easy to kind of jump on board on Correct. it. Correct. Um, you know, just like everyone who jumped on Bitcoin three years ago versus yeah. those that jumped on board 18 months ago. Yeah. That yeah. nine-month window it's a big difference. was a difference whether you lost you know, tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands, or you made even up to a million dollars. To add to what you're saying, and what I'm starting to learn, and I, like I said, I'm young in real estate too as well, but I've been in it for a, a while. You know you're doing great at something. Mm-hmm. No matter what happens, you don't move. That's true. You're yeah. firm in your position. It sounded like, you know, financial freedom was always something that you aspire to achieve. Right. And I also heard you previously mention, you know, 
you know, you're an immigrant, you move to Ottawa, you bounce from place to place, your parents transition jobs, yes. you know, they're doing the best that they could do for you. Um, I know you grew up in Mississauga, yep. so they did very well at that time, you know, suburban lifestyle. You know what? Now that I look back at it, yes, you're right. right. Exactly. So, you know, I'm an immigrant, came yes. here at six years old from Trinidad. Um, you know, when you're young, life is beautiful. You go outside, you play, you ride your bike, you, you, you're so you play soccer. You don't really understand your environment, but then you get older, you go into high school, and then you start to compare your life to other people. That's right. right. So now you start to see different family, different structures, then you start to compare, right? Mm. And as an immigrant, and especially at that time with limited access and limited information for our parents, you know, I feel like sometimes... Now that I'm in my 30s, I was a little bit hard on my parents because I didn't really understand that there's a there's a limited amount of information for them to 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 gather, mm -hmm. you know, taking care of a young immigrant family, always scared that we're in a new country, safety. So they had more pressing matters on their mind. Yeah. Um, but they gave us the best chance to to win in terms of giving us the education yeah. and the advice and morals that we have today. So, you know, when we say, you know, our parents kind of plateaued. I understand what you mean, but sometimes I know I, I feel we're a little tough on them. I think they <laughs> yeah. gave us the tools and the fundamentals to now take the baton and move it forward. Yeah. So do you feel that watching your parents work hard and giving you what you have today motivated you to want to create financial freedom for yourself, but also for them as well at an early age? And if that was so, mm -hmm. what was the process that you took to start to achieve financial freedom for yourself and your family? Because I see you kind of now positioning your, yourself and your family at the same time for, yeah. you know, for their retirement and their That's future right. and for also your future with yourself and your wife and That's future right. kids. So tell us what that process okay. now looks like. So the process and then also to comment on my parents mm -hmm. and, and, and being hard on them yeah. about the process yeah. or like the ship. So, I mean... So, I mean, education is what brought us to Canada. Right. Um, my dad is a very smart man. He, he got sponsored to study in, in uh, Manchester, England. Right. From there, I don't know how, but the, the government of Ottawa, sorry, the government of Canada in Ottawa sponsored him mm -hmm. to come and do research at the University of Ottawa. So what? Is, so what does your dad do? You're being humble. Oh, us, yeah. oh, he's a he's That's a smart man. Everyone thinks their dad's a smart man. <laughs> no, oh, sorry, he's a he's a VP of a pharmaceutical company. Nice. So it's a black-owned pharmaceutical company. Uh, I think it's the only African-owned uh, pharmaceutical company on the to to trade on New York Stock Exchange. That's amazing. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Um, that's amazing. So that's what he does today. But it, education really gave us that separation. Yeah. And it helped, and it helped us have those first early wins in life. Right. Um, and then through that, you know, my, um, you know, my mom and my brothers, we got sponsored, we came over, my mom practiced law in Nigeria. Wow. When she came here, she redid the bar and practiced law here as well. Okay. So my parents have always been like very, you know, highly educated. Yo, shout people. out to your parents. Shout out. Yo, shout out to the parents. Big ups. Right? Make Yo, that's move. amazing. That's a great story. That's a great and, and that's, that's what I'm saying. It's in your DNA. It's just, it is in my it's DNA. in your DNA. It is in my DNA. To be and a high performer. That's right. Right? That's right. So, I mean, part of it is DNA, but I don't also want it to be like, if your parents don't come from that DNA, then you don't have a shot at it. Correct. Mm -hmm. Correct. So you definitely do have a shot at it because today there's unlimited amount of information that you can expose yourself to. So if your parents are not, you know, the kind of ideal models for you to 
you know, model your life after. You can just, you know, spend all day on YouTube and find those models and just model yourself after them. Right. And and even to add to that, like, there's different ways to, you know, see the worth of your parents. Absolutely. Like, your dad may be maybe not a scholar, but he's a, he, he's, he's there for you. He shows up on time. Absolutely. You know, th- there's little characteristics that we all can't be perfect. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure we are. Some of our parents have some shortcomings as well. That's right. mm-hmm. But we want to highlight the good things, and you bring those good things into your DNA, and For you sure. turn into something else. Is right. And and to to use that to go into your the second part of your question is you know at some point you know I realized that you know a formal education, which is what my parents had, right. you know, allowed us to you know come here and have an opportunity, um, but a formal education has its limits. Mm. Right. So once I realized that a formal education has its limitations mm-hmm. to what it can do and, and provide for you, it can definitely help you, you know, make a good living, but it'll, you know, you'll, you'll always be in that rat race, yeah. potentially, even, even if you're making a quarter million dollars a year. Can I, can I, can I jump in just for one Absolutely. second? Absolutely, jump in. Because this is, this is great. This is powerful. And Jason, you're, you're great at this too, and at, at, at this. A formal education has its limits, like with anything, it's a tool. Mm-hmm. So if you're actually using the tool wrong, mm-hmm. then it has its limits. Yes. But if you use the tool right, exponential growth. Correct. Mm-hmm. Right? So formal education gave you discipline, gave you structure. Absolutely. And if you took that and did nothing with it, it plateaued and it dies. That's right. But if you took that now into pursuit of business, yeah. could that not propel you forward? Oh, absolutely. So, you so, can the, take so, so the young ones going to school right now, they got to understand that they're creating a tool. That's right. That they have to now learn to use properly. Exactly. Yeah. Which with, for finding ex- external ad- right. advice from different people. So you can use your formal education, mm-hmm. get your nine to five job, and in that time, you know, use the you know the, your disposable income. Mm-hmm. You know, find you know your Jason Allen's, your yeah. Aaron Charles, and f- help them. Go to them and say, hey, can you teach me how to invest this? Right. You know, so that that way I can you know have the option to work maybe 10 years less mm-hmm. or have the option for when, I mean, most companies today are not built to make profits. They're built to sell. Yes. Right. Most startups are built to get the numbers to a certain place and get bought out and get bought out or position it for some kind of takeover. Cause the reason why I, I wanted to get in this and Jason, you may, you can jump yeah, in. Yeah. Like I'm a person. I absorb a lot. I take in everything because I always give everyone benefit of the doubt. And when I was going to, when I was, in my little ups and downs of life, I used to get bashed on for not going to university and college. Mm-hmm. And I went from high school to entrepreneurship right mm-hmm. away. I started my first party and promotion business at 19. Yeah. Bought my first property at 21. Mm-hmm. And my, I had 10 apartment buildings at 25. Yeah. And I was still being bashed on for not having that formal education. And then a guy like Gary Vee came out and said, college is bullshit. <laughs> university is bullshit. Know, right? And... Then people start to say, hey, Aaron, I like the route that you t- you, you, t- you, well, you take, right? I, I would take it a step back. Mm-hmm. I don't even think it was just Gary Vee. I just think it was um, like what the foundations from what our parents mm-hmm. came here to get like a job yeah. and get a pension mm-hmm. is not the reality now. Right. Like we saw companies go bust and people lose their pensions. Right. Like I know one of my clients, she worked at a company for 25 years. The company went bankrupt and she has no pension. So it's like you see those things and then all of a sudden we're in the age of the mm-hmm. internet. Yeah. So IPOs, you yeah. see Google making money, yeah. you see Apple making money, you see making money in the market. So it's like you see that there's other options for money, mm-hmm. but the internet 
is the one equalizer. But That's where the education but is. But do you do you agree with any side of that argument? Because what how I feel now uh-huh. in my stage of my life, you need both. You need a yes. little bit of um, common sense and grit. Correct. But that form of education is important. It's, like, it's definitely important. Like the way now people are looking at it, you don't need, like people. I see them drive around license plates saying like college dropout, this, this, yeah. and that, which is good. Yeah. It works for some people. Yeah, it's not everyone. For no. the masses, I think that's dangerous. For me, I feel like this. Yeah. I'm happy the route that I've taken, mm-hmm. but I would have loved to have that MBA corporate structure. But you can still system. do that. You can, and I and I've pursued it, and yeah. I am. What I'm saying for the my viewers and listeners out there is mm-hmm. understand that every process is an addition to who you are in the later half. And that one Correct. thing is better than the other. You need the full system. And, and also, you just, have to, you just have to take account of the vehicle that you're in. Exactly. So if you're going to school, and you know, I'm not going to sh- you know, sh- throw shade at any particular degree, but certain things that, you know when you come on yeah. in four years? Yeah. There's nothing there for you. But you know but why? Why? Because you did something that worked before, but you're not looking to see what works in the future. That's right. right. So, so everyone's I'm, going to school based on what someone told me or right. whatever. Like, you know, like as an example, I'll give you a great example. Like some people go to school and it's like, oh, I'm going to be a lawyer. Well, I know some plumbers that make more money than lawyers. But when you when but when you <laughs> but when you go to when you're in high school, yeah. did you ever think a plumber would make more than a lawyer? And you know what? I, I was always told, yes. No, but, <laughs> no, but, trades, get in trades. You know what it is also? And Aaron went t- touched on it as well. You know, guys like Gary Vee came. Mm-hmm. And, you know, being an entrepreneur today kind of became like being a rapper in the Cele- 90s. Yes, correct. Remember when everybody wanted to be a rapper in the yes, 90s? Yes. Like everybody wanted to do a mixtape. Yep. And I'm sure there were maybe three to, you know, 10 rappers at, at all, our, all of our high schools. Yeah. You know, but they never. Beatbox champion in the hallway? Yeah. <laughs> but there was a there was a there was a cool factor to it. Yes, for sure. So now there's a cool factor to being an entrepreneur. But that why? Is kind of what is it? Well, because you know you, you set know, your own time. Well, I mean, you look like you don't work. I mean, that's the illusion. <laughs> the car. I mean, like to to be honest, before 2017, yeah, uh, my last vacation was in 2010. Yeah. So I went on one vacation in seven years. Wow. So as an entrepreneur especially when you're starting out, mm-hmm. you know, you don't have the time to put $2,000 towards an all-inclusive. Correct. Those $2,000 could be the difference of whether you make it the next, you have a, you have a runway for the next 30 days to forty-five days to six months yeah. even. Yeah. And the thing about it is, is a lot of people are not comfortable with that. What so you com- want the goals of entrepreneurship, Correct. but you're not comfortable with not knowing if you have that $2,000 to pay Correct. your rent. So I think the key is that, okay, you got to figure out, like you say. And they what, still want to go to Punta Cana. Yes, but you got to figure out what you're good at. So okay. some people, you can be a great employee and still be very, very successful. So what do they call that? What entrepreneur? Entrepreneur? You can be an entrepreneur within a system. system. Correct. That's so right. what, what, I, what I've been an entrepreneur, yeah. I think, my whole life. Mm-hmm. I, I, I've been able to identify situations and turn it into profit. Mm-hmm. And I've seen the highs and lows of that, mm-hmm. right? And I find, and what I love about Michael Yat and Jason is you guys are very grounded individuals. And I can say this generally because I, entrepreneurship, you're striving for the ultimate lifestyle, mm-hmm. but then you're also making the ultimate 
ultimate sacrifices yeah, as well. Correct. And those are the things that are not highlighted. Yeah. So people have to understand what you see. There's 10 other things you're not seeing. <laughs> yeah. Like for me, from age 19 to 29, yeah. I didn't go on vacations. I didn't party. Yeah. I worked at TTC nights and I did real estate in the day. Yeah. When I turned 30, I went on my first real vacation and did it a couple of times. I liked it, mm-hmm. but I knew I had to put a ceiling on that because there's more growth that, that yeah. needs to be done. Can't be wasting money, right? Um, but like to go back to the point, what I was saying is, it's 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 getting dangerous for you know our viewers and our listeners to see what's happening. Like nineteen year old entrepreneurs saying, "I made a million dollars," and then they have a Louis Vuitton that's bag right, and they're right. on a private jet, mm-hmm. and people have to understand that entrepreneurship is a quest. Mm-hmm. You're trying to build something greater than yourself. Correct. You're trying to build something even greater than what's actually on this planet right now. Mm-hmm. And to do that, and, and you know, when I watched, um, what's that book, Mike? PayPal Mafia? Oh, uh, PayPal Mafia. Is PayPal book, Mafia. Yeah. Like, you know, like the Elon Musk, you mm-hmm. know, he sold PayPal for $100 million and then he didn't even have money when he went into the next ventures to pay his rent. Yeah. He went all in. All in. Right? Some people think $100 million, private jets, Monaco, do this, do that. Some people think $100,000 and they start doing that. Right. So at the end of the day, your mission and your goal has to be so big that it's not even about the money. It's about the mission that you're on. Mm-hmm. That the, your mission has to be so big that no matter how much money you make, it's never enough. So the best thing to, to, to phrase that is that you have to love the process as much as you love the end goal. You have to be the process. Mm-hmm. I don't care if you love it or don't love it. Yeah. You have to be the process. And, and you, you know, know what? Um, so, what, so with all that being said, so how I actually got involved in real estate as, as part of your, uh, as part of your second question was, you know, I didn't really have, you know, wanted to be an entrepreneur or a real estate investor. I just looked at what I was good at. Mm-hmm. So when I was looking at what I was good at, and I was Which doing was an audit what you of, of, of what I was good at. Mm-hmm. I realized that I was good at sales. Okay. Mm-hmm. I was good at networking. Mm-hmm. I had great communication skills. Uh, and also, because I had the formal education, mm-hmm. I was able to look at the, the, the macro of what was going on in Toronto at the time. Because um, when I started buying real estate, the conversations were, there's an oversupply of condos in Toronto. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember that. There yeah. was an over, And we were having condo bubbles. Yeah. yeah. And so there was a lot of fear mm-hmm. of you know, jumping in the real estate market, but we still jumped in um, because the timing was right. Mm-hmm. I had friends that have already, at, by the time I started, mm-hmm. were millionaires. Mm-hmm. So I had friends that already made millions of dollars in real estate. Under 30 years old too. Under 30 years old. Yeah. So I, I was looking at it, just how maybe some people are listening or hearing and watching right now thinking, you know, they're too late. Mm-hmm. So I was looking at this 12 years ago and, and I said, I'm, I'm too late. Yeah. People already made millions in this, and I'm just getting started. <laughs> yeah. You know, by will I even have an opportunity to be able to do so? So it was easy for me to jump into real estate because I had a, I had individuals that were already proven, mm. and th- and we were also focused on a niche, mm-hmm. which was new construction, right. which okay. was assignment sales, right. which was condo sales, which was predominantly anything south of the four one. Yeah. Um, you know, closer to the city. We saw immigration, you know, was happening. We saw, you know, countries that Toronto wouldn't have been in their, in, in their, you know, short list of moving to mm-hmm. individuals from other countries that were saying, you know what, let's put Canada, London, 
New York, you know, on that short list. Yeah. And let's look at the pros and cons. Yeah. So we started to see a shift, you know, towards looking at Toronto as a player. And the reality is 10, 12 years ago, you know, the market was just way undervalued. Right. So it was easy over the last 10 years that a lot of people made millions of dollars Mm -hmm. in the real estate industry because it just, it just caught up. So I was looking at what I was good at in the sense that, you know, every time that I referred um, a client, I was working as an assistant first for somebody who was, you know, a real estate guru at the time. Let's use the right word. Consultant. Consultant, assistant, however you want to spin it. The bottom line is. Yeah, you weren't a salesperson. I wasn't ready. Yeah. I wasn't wasn't ready, so I had to follow. Yeah. You know, I wasn't ready to lead, so I had to follow. I did that for five years. Mm -hmm. But I didn't promote it because I wanted to really test if it was, as Aaron was saying, I don't just. Dive right in. I just don't dive right in. But then when I started to do an audit to say, hey, you know, I could have made. Personal audit. I could have made X amount if I was licensed. And I was buying real estate as well, so I could also service myself. Okay. So it made sense for me to jump in. And then once I jumped in, I was able to just educate individuals a lot better than most, you know, your traditional realtors were. Because I understood the fundamentals a lot better. So did you, what came first? You buying your first property or becoming a consultant in real estate? I did both at the same time. Okay, so tell us about that. So what originally had happened was... Um, I wanted to I wanted to get involved in real estate, mm-hmm. but I had capital, but my credit wasn't great. Ah, okay. So I needed to leverage and find somebody who yeah. had the credit aspect to leverage, you know, the capital that I had. And at the time, because it was a the conversation was, you know, we had an oversupply of condos in the in the market, mm-hmm. it was easy to get condos in Toronto. Yeah. It was super easy. Yeah. Because builders were given five percent cashbacks or yeah. or zero money down. Which also made people fearful because that's kind of how the states, you know, yeah, ended up their in their situation. in yeah. their mess as well. Uh, but also, but our fundamentals was a lot better because we came out of 08, you know, barely touched as other countries mm-hmm. were. So we knew that our banking infrastructure and our systems were a lot better than than other countries yes. out there. So that gave me the confidence there to say, okay, well, I can rent this out for maybe a thousand dollars a month for the yeah. for the one bedroom on Dufferin and King. Um, and it was Parkdale, so it was a little bit ghetto. It was yeah. transitioning. People weren't sure. It was 400 square feet, and the banks were not financing micro, micro condos, condos at that time. Because it was less than 500 yep. square feet, whereas now it's like they finance 290 square feet. Yeah. So the market was very different, but as Aaron was saying, I had a goal and a vision because I saw people that are... It's, it's not even... I can't even call it a goal and vision once people have already done it. Yeah. If you're going into something that no one's ever done, yes. then I believe the vision is very, very strong and important. Yeah. But if a million people have made billions of dollars in real estate, yeah. you're not the first person to, no. p- to put your 5%, 10% down. Yeah. No. You're, not, you're not going and building uh, an electric car company you're not a or a SpaceX company like uh, Elon Musk yeah. where no one's ever done it. You're not first to market. You're not first to market. Yeah. And so you're not the first one shot. And that's all. Right? That's, and that... Perfect point, Mike. It's like, that's how I gauge real estate for myself as well. And I always say this to my clients. It's stop overthinking. Yeah. Right? <laughs> there's there's already a blueprint. Mm-hmm. And that's the reason why I love real estate. It's so transparent to me. If I want to be a developer, mm-hmm. I can go find a blueprint of a developer. Oh, this is what Tridel did. This is what Minky did. This yeah. is what Minto did. Oh, Tridel's over here. Let me go follow behind them. Oh, Mike's an investor. He bought... Pre-construction, he does pre-construction. Oh, that's Mike's blueprint. 
And then there's also a lot of avenues where you can touch these people and get advice. Mm-hmm. And, and it's the wheel hasn't be hasn't been um, reinvented. Yes. Right? right. So you know, Mike, hearing what you're saying is, you came into the business as a student first, with an open mind, and with a blueprint. That's right. Right. And you know, Mike, you know, we'd love to thank you, obviously, for you know being one of the teachers at the master class. But that's kind of like what the masterclass now is. Yeah. It's being it's an open forum of conversation with multiple blueprints. Yeah. You know, you have the developer mindset, the investor mindset, the finance and money mindset, and we have other professionals coming in to give you what multiple blueprints. Correct. So if you had something like the masterclass, for example, mm-hmm. ten years ago, do you feel that oh, big time. you would have been even more propelled forward? I'm just gonna just jump right in, for yeah. sure. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not, and I'm not no, even pitching I mean, the masterclass. No, no. I'm just he- going off for you saying the blueprint. No, which no is absolutely important. not. I mean, yeah. we don't need to pitch the masterclass. Mm. I mean, there's every time a project launches, mm. the problem now in Toronto is we have supply issues, not demand issues. Mm-hmm. The demand is there, always there, but the supply is is not there. Right, and that's why you know, I'm, you know, my hats off to those individuals that have made, you know, a lot of money and then take that money mm-hmm. and go into the development space because you're solving a problem. Right. Mm. And the problem is, you know, we have a, you know, we have a supply issue, mm-hmm. not a demand issue. Mm-hmm. So with, with, the, with the supply issue there, um, what we do is we, you know, we bring value to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And I was fortunate because somebody was able to hold my hand mm-hmm. through my first two real estate transactions. My first one was I bought a, you know, I bought a deal from a guy named Sean on an assignment sale. Mm -hmm. So he had bought it from a developer and I didn't know that he bought eight of them at the time, Mm -hmm. but he wasn't ready to close on all eight of them. So he assigned maybe five or six to me and my buddies. Mm -hmm. And we thought he was doing us a favor, but it was also a win-win position. Always. So that was my first one. My second one was directly from the, uh, from the builder. And I ended up um, keeping that for a short period of time. Wasn't able to, at the time, hold on to it and close on it. Um, but those are those are my first two purchases, and they were both under two hundred thousand dollars. Right. At the same time. So that so you would say, ultimately, that was your first investment property. That's right. So you were exposed to pre-construction and assignment at the same time. That's right. Nice. So pre-construction and assignment sales at the same time, um, and I liked the niche of it. Mm-hmm. Because talk more about the niche. What's what? So the niche of it. I mean, where I'm I'm predominantly in the servicing business of real estate. Yeah, there's fifty thousand other people like me that can also service other individuals who are interested in purchasing real estate. So the niche of it is the ability to look at floor plans, to look at an area, to look at features and finishes, the the uh, background of the developer, um, understanding the approval process, understanding the infrastructure of what's being built up around the area. And to be able to say, if I put a dollar here, can that dollar go to work and make me a return in three to four years once it's built? Because mm-hmm. the, how people, the majority of people are looking to buy homes. And when I came into real estate, my, you know, I had a bias and, and I rented even till, till today. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't um, live where I own. I, so I rent and I've been rented yeah. uh, because I've always looked at it as a vehicle that for me, it gave me great flexibility Yes. for somebody who didn't have the perfect profile, but it allowed me to get into something and in three to four years it was built, it increased in value and that increase in value gave me options. Mm-hmm. And so, those options yeah. are what I've used and 
propelled with. So just as a question, do you think as an like immigrant and coming here and then having that experience and then talking about like Toronto experiencing the huge influx of immigration do you think you have a little bit of an advantage of that because i think for myself like i was born in toronto mm-hmm. like i've been here all my life i don't know anything different yeah but i don't feel like i have that same feeling that you have as an immigrant like i don't like i don't even understand what it's like to move to a different country like, <laughs> I, I, thought you came from, I thought you came from trinidad that's huh? a good point. Yeah. <laughs> like, so do you ever like look at it and be like, "Oh, I'm someone that came from Nigeria, yeah. and I would come here, and my family's experienced this beautiful place in Toronto, and it's so yeah. good." So, wow, like a lot of people are going to want to come here, right? So yeah. me, I see them like, "Oh," because there's sometimes I wake up in the morning, I'm like, "Where are all these cars and these people coming from, mm-hmm. right? And why are they coming here?" But I think someone like you and even yourself, Aaron, coming from Trinidad, yeah. you guys may have like a little bit of an advantage yeah. in saying. I know why people come here. Correct, I don't right. know that. I just know why I don't want to leave. <laughs> and you know what? I mean, and in the beginning, you know, you kind of look at your, you, or you might look at your immigrant status as almost a disadvantage. Yeah. Because you don't fit in. You speak with an accent. You're, you know, you're a little funny. You know, yeah. your your parents don't cook the Canadian food. Yeah. Right? So, you know, there's a little bit of maybe embarrassment there. But, I mean, long term, when you look at it and you, and I don't know what the stats are, but, mm-hmm. you know, Immigrants, I think, typically do well anywhere they go uh, because they have pers- that, 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 that perspective. perspective. Okay. And that perspective gives them, and like, I mean, last time I visited Nigeria uh, was 10 years ago. And, you know, we have some infrastructure built up, but there's some parts of the country that there's no infrastructure built mm-hmm. up. And I remember it was a morning I had to get up and, you know, we had to walk to go get to, to go take a, you know, well, not me because we had a well. Yeah. But there were people like around me that were neighbors that had to get up and go to a, go to a, go to the river to have a bath and then fetch water and bring it back yeah. and boil it. This is 10 years ago. Yeah. So, and then when you give those people an opportunity, even if it's a, even if it's a marginal one, yeah. they're going to go crazy with it. Yeah. yeah. So, whereas if you're kind of born here, I'm not saying you don't have that, um, not saying you don't have that uh, opportunity to still win, mm-hmm. but I mean immigrants. I mean, I think they have the edge all day for sure. Yeah, yeah. You guys are sh- you guys are a little bit sharp. Um, I find that like if just someone who's born here mm-hmm. and just has a lot of immigrant friends and clients and stuff like that. Yeah. I find that we sometimes Canadians take advantage for what we have mm-hmm. and don't understand like that side of it like That's okay right. i go home i go to dominica i see it it's similar but i don't live through it i know right. i always say this thing i was like i'm not moving anywhere without a 24-hour shoppers and that's so and it's just me because of what i've been born right. into that's but right. I, I'm, right. I'm sure people come here and if i say that they're like oh you're lucky hey, like <laughs> i wouldn't move anywhere without a 24-hour shoppers either today right. there, there's but to add to that yeah you know being an immigrant being an entrepreneur you know yes mike everything you said is totally correct you know you come here and we're forced to figure shit out. And then when we figure shit out, we realize it's not that serious. Mm-hmm. So then you build something in your your DNA and your characteristic of nothing's that serious. I uprooted my whole life, came to a whole new country, and, I, and, and I'm okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? But I also feel that, you know, a lot of Canadians and a lot of people who aren't immigrants uh, that are born here, when they travel, they actually get a glimpse of that feeling correct you they can, go yes. cuba and say oh my gosh you know 
I want to do this. I want to do that. I want to do this yeah. because you now know the resources that you have that mm. you can propel yourself yes. for. And I was speaking to a mentor of mine at the time. He goes, Aaron, like if you ever have difficulties mm. in understanding the position that you are here, yeah. just uproot and move somewhere else. That's Shake true. up your world. Yeah. That's true. You know, put some urgency into things. Find, yeah. oh, I got to find a place to live. Yeah. I got to mm-hmm. find new school. I got to find where the nearest hospital is. Yeah. You got to now go on a scavenger hunt. When you're not scavenger hunting in your life and you get complacent, yeah. you don't grow, right? That's so for as an entrepreneur, we're always scavenging. Yes. What's the next move? Yes. Where am I, where, where am I positioning myself next? Mm-hmm. Where's the economy yeah. going? This yeah. and that and that. But the average person... They, they, they get complacent, get into a routine, so they lose that edge. Mm-hmm. Right? Well, what it is, I think everyone just, you, you stay where you're comfortable, right. right? And you know it. Like, we're all, we, we like to go where we're popular. Mm-hmm. Like, the <laughs> cheers thing is not nothing. You go where people know your name, right? Mm-hmm. But sometimes, like what Mike did as a young age, you have to go where maybe people don't know your name and then mm-hmm. make them know your name. People that don't know what they're actually doing are the ones who... No matter what news break, I got to sell. I got to move. I got to do this. I got to do that. I got to do this. Real estate is something that you're supposed to hold for generations right. and generations yeah. and right. generations. It's not something that you have to keep disturbing. And, and also fundamentally, when you think about real estate, you know, every seasoned investor and in real estate will tell you over 10 years, you will for sure make money. Yeah. Whereas our mindset has been over ten months, Six over months. Yeah. over you know eighteen months today. Over, <laughs> you know, I know people that drop deposits mm-hmm. six months ago, and they're already asking me what's the value, mm-hmm. which is okay. Nothing wrong. No, nothing wrong with it. You know, to kind of see okay, is it trending in the in the right, right in the right direction? But then don't use that as the as as your new standard, right? Because guess what? In ten years from now. You might not see anything move for the first six months. Yes. Because also when my first property, the first after it was built, and this we're talking Dufferin and and King, King Street, King. after it was built, the first two years, the value didn't move. It stayed the same. Yeah. And it stayed the same because the developer went bankrupt. Ah. So, so the you, reputation of the building died. So you got to watch that. There was also rumors of uh, mismanagement. Of the, um, of the construction, so people are worried about the right. structure of the building and stuff. And also, there was rumors of, of uh, bed bugs in the building. Wow. So the market stayed flat. And stayed away from that building. And, and people stayed away from it for, for two years, and the management wasn't as strong. But then a new management company came in. They revamped the building. They put systems and processes in place. And I will never forget this. A friend of mine, he sold his... This, we're talking downtown Toronto maybe five years ago. Uh, Queen West. D- Dufferin, Queen, we're talking Queen West. Dufferin and King. Queen you West, know, close yeah. to Queen West, close between Liberty Village and Queen West. Mm-hmm. And he sold his for a loss. And I didn't know you could lose money selling real estate <laughs> after you held it for three to four years. Wow. But he sold it for a loss. Yeah. But then the timing changed, and six months later, I sold it for 100000 more. That's crazy. And I end up making a profit. But you played the long game. Because uh. I played the long game, but I also realized that there was a, you know, there was a spot where the market was was you know hit its peak mm-hmm. and you know if that gentleman had just waited six more months but maybe he couldn't he couldn't hold on anymore. and everyone's situation is different so it's That's like right. you gotta you gotta stay even keel i always say it's like don't get too high and don't get That's too right. low and there's one thing that you've ever also mentioned that i hear um just basil's mentions when he talks to like his uh his employees mm-hmm. he's like oh when you watch the stock price like if the stock goes up don't get too excited because That's if right. the stock crashes by the same amount are you going to get equally upset Right. So you got to manage that. You know what I mean? So 
you know, we, we heard a lot of good things that you said about staying in the zone. I think what I what I'm gonna pick up from that is that you know, when you feel like you're the smartest person in the move room, mm-hmm. you you gotta move you gotta or move leave the room, room go That's to a different right. crowd. Sure. Um, you also well staying patient and mm-hmm. waiting for the long game. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing that you said was quiet out the noise. Which I think that's important because yeah. when you hear about like athletes or people getting in the zone or whatever, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they always act like like they can't hear anything Nothing. or they can't see anything beside that's them. Right. But what their trajectory right. is. That's so right. I really liked when you say that you're like, oh, I turned off all notifications. I did. I just yep. I like maybe logged off. Like I've done it too. Like mm-hmm. when I know that I'm being distracted, I'll like turn off Instagram. That's right. I'll get away all my group chats because mm-hmm. I'm like I don't want no one to disturb what I'm doing right now. That's right. And that's I'm right. the same way. That's mm-hmm. how I get in my zone what is that called going black going, going yeah. ghost going ghost ghost, ghost. 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 <laughs> and like, even for me like um i think i have to do a better job at not hearing the noise mm-hmm. like i said I'm, I'm more on the emotional side of how i perform and how i behave um like i said we can be perfect as yeah. entrepreneurs you know you know what works for you might not work for the next person but it's always trying to like reinvent yourself to get better every single day mm-hmm. exactly. and understanding that you know it's a process and a journey that you know, you're not going to have all the answers. Entrepreneurship is like the biggest question mark. Yes. What kind of entrepreneur are you going to be? Are you going to be that aggressive guy, the quiet guy, the nerdy guy, the, you know, there's different guys, Elon, Jeff Bezos, different style. Yeah. Um, you know, then Ray Dalio, Ray Dalio like, you different know, Warren styles, Buffett. You, know? you got to do, you got to do what works for you. Yeah. And once you find what works for you, you got to stick with it and then write it down and create that, that, that book for your life and create the chapters and the pages and, and document everything. It's very important to understand that, you know, your journey might might not resonate with me, but 20, 30 years from now, mm-hmm. a kid may pick it up and say, I am Michael Yat. Yeah. I yeah. like his story. Absolutely. Know? And you know what? It's, I mean, even now, and, and I think Aaron, you and I talk about it. I spend a lot of time now reading books that I've already read. So I'm a reread. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And because every two years, five years, I'm, I'm a different person. Your perfect perspectives change. Perspectives change. Yeah. So I'll go back to books that I read and I'll say, oh my goodness, I never read this book. Yeah. But I did read it before, but where I was mentally, emotionally. You didn't understand it. I didn't understand it. Yeah. So now I can apply new principles from the same book. Okay. But maybe I only, I read it seven years ago and I thought, oh, I've read this book. Let me check it off my list. It's like everybody else. Like I, I, I'm a victim of it too. Like I'm always chasing New What's ad- the new, new thing? New, right? new advice, new experience. When that's everything that's in front of me that I already have are things that if I flip it on the upside, it's a different view for me. That's yeah. right. But I always feel I got to get something new because I already passed that. But did I really execute what I passed? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and I feel like the school system has a little... Um, they, they, they have, yeah. I get it. If we they, start they, that, they, we're going into a big category. No, but what I'm saying is like, <laughs> I, I realized like when I was in grade six, yeah. grade seven, grade eight, yeah. did I really master grade six, grade seven? Yeah. Or did I just do enough to move on? Of course you did enough to move I on. I just moved, did That's enough what, to move on. But this is where you, I would say I would take back. Mm. Because that analogy that what you're saying is, is what Mike was saying is, yeah. in one year, did you master grade six or grade seven? No. no. no impossible. But however, in the eight years, did you master elementary school? Yes. Are you right. too concerned with mastering six to seven or that's not right. mastering one to eight? No, that's right? Right? You know what I mean? So, 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 so
Oh, I give myself a round of applause. Yes, sir. And on that note, you know, that is in the zone. This is in the zone podcast. Thank you, Michael. Thank you for coming out. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming out. We really appreciate it. Hopefully, hopefully I get welcome back. When I get welcome back, that means that tells me something. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see what the viewers say. All right, guys. (laughs) uh, Have a good day and welcome in the zone. In my zone, my zone.